Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hmm. Housing for the Aged Action Group, Hague for short, a housing group for older people run by older people, present Raise the Roof every fourth Wednesday of the month. We advocate for affordable, secure and appropriate housing. So listen up every fourth Wednesday from 6 to 6.30 on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. Uh, that's right. This is the Housing for the Aged Action Group show. There was some discussion uh, yesterday as to exactly how you pronounce the acronym. Is it HAG or HAG? Uh, I'm firmly of the view that it is definitely HAG, uh, as you heard uh, from Molly just then. Uh, my name's Shane. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you tuned in last month, I'm sorry, the show didn't broadcast for technical reasons that still remain somewhat unexplained, but we're certainly back now, and you can listen to last month's episode as a podcast if you're interested uh, on the 3CR website, or it should be up on the HAG website as well in the near future. Uh, yesterday, HAG launched an important new report about the experiences of people living in independent living units. Uh, the report is called Independent Voices, and I'm very happy to be joined today by the author of that report, Aoife uh, Cook. Thanks for coming in. Thanks. Um, so, uh, you came in early in the preparation of the report to talk about what it was and what your plans were, um, but maybe just tell people again if they're not sure what is an independent living unit and why was it important to do this kind of research. Um, okay, I was hired by HAG for six months to do a research report onto into, into independent living units, basically because there's not much information out there, certainly in the public policy sphere, and not much evidence about um, what they are and what they're doing. So it's a type of retirement housing where people live independently, um, groups of um, not-for-profit either villages or clusters of units that are, you know, usually cottage cottages, sometimes they're apartments in an apartment complex, but they're kind of set up like little villages. Um, they're usually very small, the not-for-profit ones that we're looking at, um, and they're under two different types of legislation, both the Residential Tenancies Act and the Retirement Villages Act. So the laws that surround them are kind of varied, so they make them a bit unwieldy to talk about, um, but my job was to find out where they are, find out who's living there and if anybody wants to speak to me about basically their lives and their housing and whatever whatever issues were coming up for them quite broadly. Yep. So how many people did you end up talking to for the project? Um, well, I met 35 and that's a very low response rate given that I contacted nearly a thousand, just less than a thousand. But we know what kind of happened there. And so this reflects Hag's casework um, that, for the most part, Shani Gordon is doing, um, in that people living in ILUs are often quite afraid and quite nervous of, um, you might call it making a fuss, you might call it advocating for your rights, like I would, or you might call it um, um, causing hassle. But a response I got from a lot of people was, 
oh, I don't want to be involved with that. I don't want the management getting angry at me. Mm-hmm. Like saying that, saying that phrase, you know, that sounds like something you say when, you know, it's such when a paternalistic. Like a dictatorship? Well, yeah, <laughs> well, maybe you'd say it inside your head if you're. <laughs> but it's the same idea, you know. It's almost like a child talking about their parents, and I'm, I'm not putting down the people who said it I'm just saying it's a real reflection of wow that's your living situation you're Mm. worried about talking about a problem you might have with maintenance or problem you might have with your neighbour because you're worried it's going to affect your security of your living situation so that kind of response came up quite a lot but you know and there were certain people who, who wouldn't talk to me now I reassured them the extent to which it would be anonymous. Mm -hmm. And after that, a few people were happy and a few people said no thanks. But overall, I met 35 people. Mm -hmm. Um, I would have chatted to each for about an hour and a half, usually in their homes, in their context, to help them um, or to help me to understand who they are and how they live, that kind of thing. Yeah. So when you say fear, like, are are we saying that these people are scared they're going to be kicked out if they say bad things about the the management? Is that what we're talking about? Or what, what are they scared of? Um, people were nervous that, yeah, that it might affect, yeah, that they might get kicked out. They were nervous that they, um, didn't think anyone used the word bullying, but it was that kind of sense that if yeah. they said something against the management, the management mightn't treat them well, or already that the management aren't treating them well. Mm-hmm. Um, one woman was, I mean, almost attacked by her neighbours by suggesting they come and talk to me as well. She had people flinging letters at her and smashing her post box and like uh, it's kind of I mean I don't know I don't think it's the type of thing you'd expect in a retirement village but Uh, it's it's not it wasn't a surprise to a lot of people at AG and people who work with residents in this situation because the atmosphere and the culture of these places are not about residents rights and not about um you know people being active and having a voice and that reflects the kind of you know, the other reports on the literature on this topic where they're kind of saying that not all, but a lot of the organisations that run these places are really kind of working from a a background of, um, I suppose, a, a, an old school kind of idea of it's their job to shelter the poor and needy mm. and this idea of active ageing or residence rights or being assertive or being actually independent, which is supposed to be the whole idea of these places, is just a bit too far ahead from them. So, you know, my hope with the report is to say people are living in fear. This is ridiculous. You know, managing organisations need to run these places with the idea that res- with the the fact that residents have rights mm. Um yeah, I mean, the nature of the accommodation is presumably that people move in thinking they'll have this, this like, sort of security of tenure, that it's somewhere they can, can age happily. Uh, but, you know, you don't really have security of tenure. You don't even really have a home if you're actually scared, uh, you know, have that level of everyday fear about, you know, even asking for, for basic things or, or trying to assert your rights in any way. Everyone I met expected to live there till the end of their days. A few people told me the only time they're leaving is when they go out in a box. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the plan. And um, few people said they might go to residential aged care if they have to, but you know. But yeah, I mean that's it. Everyone expected to be there long term. The amount of people I met who actually had a concrete legal security of tenure, mm-hmm. I mean, that's not the way these places are set up. They might if they're lucky, yeah. but what people kept saying to me, which was quite worrying, I thought, is that I'd say, you know, are you able to stay? You know, I you, I hear you'd like to stay here for the long term. 
are you able to? And they'd say something back, regularly say something back along the lines of, um, well, you know, they're, they're very nice. They wouldn't put me out. Is this the same people who were saying they were too scared to, to say anything bad about the management? Oh, well, no, thankfully they're not. But it's almost the other end of the scale that they're, oh. they were so trusting that the legal niceties weren't important. And I was kind of sitting there thinking, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you trust your management, but HAG and even during this research have seen that people do get asked to leave and then mm. you have very little legal recourse there. So during the research, I met a couple of people who had been asked to leave and hadn't expected it, hadn't, didn't have the legal um, certainty that they had assumed they had, thought the management were going to be nice enough to give them rights they didn't have, to be blunt about it. And, and we're in a terrible state, very understandably. And why were they being asked to leave? Um, one group of people were being asked to leave because the government funds don't fund ILUs and they fund residential aged care. So that particular ILU village was being redeveloped as residential aged care. Yeah. Um, you know, which obviously isn't independent living and, yeah. and we know ages people prematurely if they end up in residential aged care mm-hmm. prematurely. And the other place where the women hadn't, two women, two neighbours I met hadn't exactly been asked to leave, but the neighbours, the neighbouring units were being sold on the private market. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were kind of getting a letter saying they weren't going to be asked to leave. But then the other unit, you know, the the village was being destroyed yeah. um, and their, the pro- properties were being sold off. And they, they were they were kind of indirectly being pushed out. Mm-hmm. The place was going to be no longer suitable for them as older people. They were very, very concerned about, you know, young families moving in and screaming children and this, that and the other. Um but it wasn't just about their preferences. It was also about the suitability of the housing mm. and their safety and security. It was quite significant. So, you know, I'd be asking them, do you feel, what do you think is going to happen? Do you feel secure? And they looked they look nervous mm. and they said, oh, maybe, you know, they sent us a letter and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, this is what happens. We need laws, not not <laughs> yeah. kind of niceties. And then and then they were also both saying, "Oh well, maybe I could go live with my son, and maybe I could." Oh, I'm not quite sure, you know. And it was just like that level of stress. It's almost the uncertainty that makes it worse. Yeah. Then, you know, for any of us who've moved house, as we can imagine, it's a lot more extreme when you're of a certain age and you have a set plan about where you're going to go. But it's it's the waiting and the uncertainty that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And if you if you're kind of feeling like you're, you've certainty in your contract when you don't, it's a real shock to people and it's very, very unsettling. And, you know, we know from a lot of academic and other evidence that housing-related stress is the most significant issue for older people. Mm-hmm. In, in general, in, in you know, of yeah. all well-being measures, housing-related stress. And that's about security and that's about affordability. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to someone at the... Uh at the launch yesterday, who lives in an ILU, and you might think that you know this being housing that's designed for older people in particular, that there were you know that the the, the uh, units would be physically accessible. But she was telling me, you know, she's got arthritis in her hip and she's walking up th- up and down three flights of stairs to to get in and out. Um, that seems quite incredible. Yeah, the, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so these places were built between the 1950s and the 1980s. I didn't. I didn't waste my time going back trying to figure out why they thought three three flights of stairs would be suitable for older people back in the nineteen fifties. But I can tell you what's happened is that 
they stopped being funded in the 1980s from the government entirely. And at no stage since then have there been funds for um, updating Mm -hmm. that kind of accessibility. You know, have the organizations had the will to do it themselves? The odd time? Not really. So not many are um, are, um, accessible. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to know what they were thinking. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, somebody must have designed them somewhere. I'm, I'm, I mean, a lot of them are small and yeah. a bit, a bit grim. Some of them. So I'm guessing they just did them cheap, cheap and cheap and quick. And mm-hmm. um, so part of part of what we were calling for at the launch yesterday is is for um, you know universal basic design mm-hmm. that certainly new places being built similar to this or when places are being refurbished mm-hmm. um, that that kind of accessibility is taken into account. And as well as places being accessible, what's really important is places aren't, um, you know, older people don't want to move into a place that's designed for someone in their late 90s mm. when they are in their early 60s. They want yeah. a place that's suitable to change as they age. But, you know, people don't want to move into a place when they're fully Say, say, for example, they might be fully physically able. They don't want kind of bars in every part of the shower, yeah, yeah. but they want the place to be able to have that capacity. So, mm-hmm. that, so that's where kind of universal basic design comes in, that your place is set up to be adaptable as opposed to fully, fully, fully ready to go. Yeah. And what are some of the other important recommendations uh, coming out of the project? Um, <laughs> there was a few. <laughs> I mean, something that comes up on this show over and over again is that we need the Retirement Villages Act to be reviewed comprehensively mm-hmm. um, as as yourself and a few others have been looking at. The Residential Tenancies Act has been going through a series of reviews. The Retirement Villages Act is very, very weak. There's very few protections for residents and particularly low-income residents of the not-for-profit villages. Um, and a, a comprehensive review of that would be fabulous. Mm-hmm. Security of tenure would be fabulous. Um, but, I mean, because I'm f- focusing on the negative stuff, I suppose what's a really important thing to say is that a lot of people that I met living in IUs are quite happy mm-hmm. in that I really believe that the housing model is great. They're in good locations. They're small, unfussy units. There's a community of older people. You know, people can live with their peers, but they're usually in the context of another, of, you know, the, the geographical town or village or community. So in a way, it meets lots of needs yeah. when they work and when they are run well and when they're suitable. So, you know, to keep them open and to keep them running, there needs to be enough support and enough funding from the government so that the managing organisations aren't redeveloping them into aged care, like mentioned earlier, but also that they're not um, redeveloping them and those costs are going to to the residents, which is what's happening. So there are some being refurbished and being beautifully designed the way we we might like, but then the ingoing price is so expensive. Well, I mean, I mean, in terms of the private housing market, they're not expensive, but in yeah. terms of the, the people that need to access them, they're yeah. not yeah. affordable. And so redevelopment has to be done in a context where the funding is not going, you know, it's not coming from the residents in question because yeah. you're just pricing out the lower income people in. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting what you say about the funding. It seems like the 1950s through the 80s were, were kind of the golden age of the government actually wanting to invest in sort of long-term housing options for people. Whereas now housing funding is, is very much driven towards uh, short-term, uh, some would say short-sighted, uh, temporary conditions. Some temporary would say that. <laughs> some would. <laughs> some who, who knows? Uh, all right. Um, 
the at the launch yesterday, Barney, who's I think a former ALU resident, um, read out a pretty amazing case study. Do you want to talk a bit about that particular story? Yeah. Um, so just to say that the the project came out of the retirement housing worker, but also the independent living working group that we have at HAG, and so they kind of initiated the project I suppose and and hired me to do the dirty work and so the members of the ILU working group also participated in the launch by reading out the case study of their peers Um, and and Barney was looking at a particular this is anonymous so I need to be really careful I don't say the wrong (laughs) thing a particular case study of an ILU in a regional town where the residents so I met three people and the residents have been living there one for eight years and one more recently and another for three years. So they had a range of experience. And they basically had this list of complaints about their management committee. So I was like, okay. Um, And I was really shocked. (laughs) I was really shocked by what was going on. So one, I mean, they're all, in a way, they're all different examples, but they're all the same place. So that's what you need to bear in mind. So one was that um, when one of the women had moved in eight years ago, um, it took four years for them to sort out her hot water. So she lived without hot water for four years. When they finally fixed it, they got her a new... Basically, they wouldn't pay for a new water tank. So when they Mm -hmm. finally got her a new water tank, it didn't work. So she got back to them and says, it doesn't work. Took them another six to eight months, she said, to... uh, She she didn't want to mess around with it, you know. She was nervous of it. Six to eight months before they came back, flicked a switch, and it then worked. Uh. You know, so we're talking nearly five years without hot water. All of them had um, rules to live by that um, were a little unconventional. So this place is run by a religious organization. Um, It's not a mainstream religion. And so um, their their rules for residents are unconventional. They expected people not to drink. Um, they expect people not to smoke. They don't like people hanging their washing out on the Sabbath in front of the unit. Um, this kind of thing, you know. Supposedly it was slightly better than it used to be, but, you know, <laughs> it wasn't It wasn't great. They had rules about not having pets, but one of the interviewees I spoke to had spoken to. So this is the committee of managed sheets, but I'm telling I'm telling this anecdote because I want to show how messy (laughs) this kind of lifestyle is. So this is a messy story, but it's messy because this is what life is like. So she had pets. The community management said no pets. But the actual manager, she agreed with the actual manager she could have a pet. So she she arrived, moved in with her dog, I think it was. A member of the committee of management came up to her unit, bashed on the window and said, what's that dog doing there? Get it out. She said she was too nervous to open the door, too scared to open the door. So she says back to him, she says back to him, I'm not giving you my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not in a Dublin accent, but whatever. And the, and the committee's like, you can't have that, you can't have that. And she she's like, I got it in my contract. I got it in my contract. And I'm just like, imagine, imagine this is your life. No washing on this day. No, no work on the Sabbath either. You know, oh. no drink. Um, what else happened there? Oh, somebody, one day it was announced they all had to pay for their water. Um, the the utilities ombudsman suggested that because they didn't actually have individual water meters, they couldn't pay for their water. So they were able to fight that. So th- I suppose what I'm trying to say is that, you know, one of them have been there eight years. They've just constantly had this kind of back and forth of a, an extremely unprofessional, very... Um, I mean, unprofessional is one word. 
<laughs> management committee and and they were they were worn out you know they were clearly very worn out when I met them and they were frustrated and they were angry and you know it's not my place to suggest they move but I I kind of said you know have you considered moving and one of them one of the interviewees who was clearly exhausted by the whole thing said well I lived in an ILU down the road there and it got shut down and they said they'd never shut it down. They lied to us and they shut it down. So this is where I've ended up. And he said, they, sure, we'd be homeless on the street mm. without this. So this is the context. I mean, the only positive thing about this place is that, well, first of all, they were great fun. <laughs> so, I mean, good neighbours, but it was affordable. Yeah. And they had to put up with this ridiculous kind of committee of management and this these rules around their lifestyle and a lot of fear around speaking to me in the first place. Mm. I mean, they were definitely a, a good example of a group who were very nervous to chat to me. Um, but, you know, it was affordable and that was the defining feature of why they were there. Yeah. Well, the report's going to be fed into the parliamentary inquiry on retirement housing that's going on in Victoria at the moment. So hopefully uh, some some good changes or maybe some money will come with this. Um, but thanks very much for coming in, Aoife. That was really, really great. Uh, the report looks fantastic. How can people get their hands on a copy or their eyes on a copy? Um, well, I can post it to anyone who wants it, but it will be on the HAG website. So it's www.oldertenants.org.au yep. and we'll have it uploaded there by the end of the week. Uh, yeah, or if you want to get a copy posted out, just give us a call on 96547389 um, and we'll give out that uh, number again at the end of the show. Um, was there any last comments you wanted to make about the report? Uh... Oh, I don't know. I hope somebody reads it. <laughs> I know, I suppose just to say that there's a lot of, I mean, the report is about residents' voices and their knowledge. That's really the emphasis. So it's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of that, which is very significant. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thanks very much for coming in. We're going to hear a couple of messages and we'll be right back. Radiothon is over, but it's not too late to support 3CR and your beloved queer show, Queering the Air. Come down to our fundraiser at Hares and Hyenas on the 30th of July. Doors open at 7.30pm. Check out the Queering the Air Facebook page to find the event and buy tickets. The night will be Auslan interpreted and will feature live music and poetry by local artists. Who's playing? ASL. Mina. Astrid. And Slumber Kitty. Don't forget the poets. Amy Witchway. Dawn. Yao. Zanya. Brave the winter cold and come down for a dreamy night with the Queering the Air crew. Join Parkinson's Victoria for a walk in the park on Sunday the 28th of August at Federation Square. Enjoy a leisurely four-kilometre walk along the Yarra River and plenty of entertainment. Bring your family, friends and pet pooch to show your support for people living with Parkinson's. Register today at melbourne.parkinsonswalk.com.au. It's as easy as a walk in the park. A 3CR supporter. Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair, Sunday 14th of August. Brunswick Town Hall, Wurundjeri Land, 233 Sydney Road, Brunswick, 10am to 5pm. Free entry. Stalls, workshops, films, food, childcare and kids space available all day. For more information, go to amelbournebookfair.org. The Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair. Arm yourself with ideas. A 3CR supporter. 
Uh, thanks very much for listening. This is the Housing for the Aged Action Group show. Uh, next week is Homelessness Week. Uh, you may or may not be aware. Uh, HAG is organising a demonstration or a rally uh, to draw attention to the issue of older women's housing crisis. Um, it has been getting some attention lately that uh, older women are in many ways the new face of homelessness, the new face of poverty, uh, that for a whole range of reasons to do with uh, gender, gendered wage inequality uh, and the different sorts of career paths that men and women tend to have, the way that, that uh, the effect on superannuation, the way that compounds over time. Uh, older women make up uh, a significant majority of uh, the clients of HAG's housing service. Uh, so next Monday, August the 1st, from 12 till 2, uh, we'll be in Fed Square uh, with some older women uh, talking in particular about their experiences of housing crisis, uh, homelessness, housing stress, uh, all of those things. We hope very much that some of you can come join us. There'll be an open mic if you'd like to share your own experiences. Uh, and yes, that's 12 till 2 uh, next Monday, the 1st of August. Uh, if you are yourself currently experiencing housing stress, housing crisis, homelessness, if you're an older person, uh, and for us that essentially means anyone over 55, uh, please give us a call at HAG. Not just uh, if you've been to, been kicked out or anything like that. Uh, if you're struggling with the rent, if the rent's uh, been increased, uh, any kinds of housing problems. You have a problem in ILU. We've got a uh, retirement housing worker who would love uh, to talk to you about what we can do to help with that. Uh, if you've got a problem with your landlord, with getting repairs done, with uh, you know unwarranted privacy violations, whatever it might be, uh, we would love to talk to you about that. Uh, you can give us a call at HAG on 96547389. Uh, you can also call us on that number, of course, if you would like to get a copy of Aoife's report. Uh, before we go... I just want to finish up by reading you another case study from the from the report from Independent Voices, uh, and I'll just kick off. Peter is 78, soft-spoken, and wore a fisherman's cap. When I met Peter at his home at the edge of a small town, Peter had lived in a low-cost independent living unit in a small country town for the last two years. He'd previously been living in private rental where his rent was $200 a fortnight, and the place before that was $300 a fortnight. That got too expensive, he told me. I tried to get cheaper and cheaper if I could. I was finding it hard. He told me what he ate when he was in private rental. For all his meals, he says, I was making sandwiches, breakfast cereal, toast, biscuits, Vegemite and cheese, that kind of thing, cheap to buy. You couldn't buy vegetables or meat. A lot of fruit's quite expensive, particularly when it's not in season. Now he pays $90 a week for a not-for-profit. So what does this mean for Peter? He says, it lets you have better eating. You don't have fillet steak, that kind of thing, but you can have normal meals. It gives you a bit more luxury. Go to the fish shop, a bit of Chinese food. He told me, I feel very sorry for the pensioners. When they pay their rent and electricity, they've got nothing left. Uh, and that really sums up a lot of the, the kind of situation that we see at HAG all the time. The reason why the, the sort of work we do, I think, is very important. Um, again, if you are struggling in private rental and you would like to get some assistance with it, please give us a call. 9654-7389 uh, or have a look at some of the resources on our website www.oldertenants.org.au uh, Thanks very much for listening uh, I'll be back with you next month Rumination 3CR's Rooming House and Homeless Persons Issues Program featuring information on health and housing services as well as live local guests artists and performers from our unsung community. Join us at 12pm on Thursday on 3CR 
855 AM.